Amen. You can be seated. Come on now. Figured it out. So, see, some of if you're visiting with us today and um, you're just wondering about this whole Christianity thing, let me explain what we're doing. Uh, believers gather out of the world uh, on days like this to focus their attention on God and hopefully uh, give Him praise and also learn about Him, become more conformed to Him, to what He wants for us. And then we scatter out in the world and and hopefully once in a while we rub shoulders with people like yourselves and, and we gossip about Jesus, which is the best kind of gossip there is, okay? Uh, that was, you don't really, we, we're not supposed to gossip, we know better than that. But uh, that's who we are and why we're here. And uh, so if you're, you're one of those wondering what that's all about, uh, Mike already mentioned there's a little thing in, the, in your seat somewhere, it might have fallen down under your uh, songbook or something and get crushed down, but I'm not offended if it's all crumpled up and you fill it out and drop it at, uh, in the box in the back or give it to one of the ushers or hand it to me. Um, I work here, so I'm here a lot, and I'd be glad to have it and take it. I just wanted to mention that because sometimes people are wondering what exactly is going on, and I know depending on your background, uh, what kind of church or religious background you might have had, if any, when you come into a context like this and you see people doing certain things, it's like, what, what is that all about? I always remember the story of Moshe Rosen. He was uh, the founder of Jews for Jesus, if anybody remembers those days back in the 70s. And uh, when he came to faith, he was brought by friends to a Christian worship service and they were doing communion. And from his perspective... Eating the body and the blood of Jesus, like, who are these weird, cannibalistic crazies, you know? It seemed totally bizarre to him. So uh, it's helpful sometimes to have somebody coach you as to what exactly is going on here and understand. I hope today might be a little bit of that, if, if at all possible. But if anyone fails this, just go home and go back to bed, you know? We know, right? Well, who? The king of kings, right? It's worship is for him. Now, I put a little asterisk. You always know that when I put an asterisk, it means I stole something, right? And I did. I stole from one of the chapters in this book, Reaching Out Without Dumbing Down. How do you like that for a title? Reaching Out Without Dumbing Down. The reason this book was written, this goes back 20-some-odd years more, was because all the emphasis on seeker services at the time was getting a brutal reaction. And it uh, wasn't always gracious or godly, to be blunt, because there's not anything inherently wrong with that, with seeker services. But her point, and she's collaborated a lot with a gentleman you may know, Eugene Peterson. Um, her point, anybody know Eugene Peterson? The message, all right, and other excellent texts. Uh, God as the center of worship, the culture of worship, which I stole that title last week, the, the culture of worship, God as the center of worship, who is worship for? So I'm going to read a few things out of that in a few minutes, but I'm not trying to set you up and trick you because it is primarily and first and foremost for God. We sing for him, not for our neighbors sitting in the other chairs or as in some churches that really are exuberant for their neighbors in the next block. 
And that might work, but it's for God primarily. Let's, uh, let's think about it for just a minute. What is worship supposed to look like? I like this picture here. Anybody want to guess what this is a picture of? Come on, come on. I, somebody said the spirit? Huh? The flames of fire. That's right. You have to say it right, you know, like her. The flames of fire. Oh, shut up, she said. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm not making fun. I love it. I wish I spoke like that. I would sound much more spiritual when I preach. And, uh, huh? Embarrassing me or you? Oh, I'm sorry. I humbly apologize. Really, I didn't. I do. I love that accent. Anyway, um, yeah, it's Pentecost. That's what it is Pentecost. Right? There's little flames of fire. So these people are in what we would all agree is an intensive worship service. Wouldn't you agree? It's, it's the, the launching of the church, the spirit moving in on, on the disciples. So let's see what people are doing here. Um, what's this guy doing? He's reading. What, 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 let's see. What, this guy, what do you think this guy's doing? Yeah, and first of all, this guy's speaking to, yeah, one way. This guy's speaking to his neighbor. What about this guy with his hands up? He's praising God, right? Yeah, the praising section's right over here. I was watching this morning. I was looking. Over here, over here there's secret tongue speakers, and back there, there's, I, I don't know. We're not in sections, right? But, but he's obviously praising God. That's a symbol with the hands up, giving glory to God. And uh, let's see, there was someone else I was thinking. Oh, yeah, this, well, I didn't want to do that. That, that. Not yet. There we go. Here, I got my little arrow. This guy, what's he doing? Yeah, he's praying, right? He's on his knees praying. How about, how about this lady? Huh? She's having a heart attack. No. <laughs> I think, I think she's pondering. She's pondering, you know, kind of overwhelmed with, oh, think about what's going on. So which one of these is worshiping best? All of them, right? All of them. We're so busy assessing people at times. I had a great question when I first got here because I feel like God doesn't always get the kind of worship and praise he should get from people who've been rescued. And uh, a brother was asked, well, how can you judge that? In the absolute sense, I can't. And I've said that before. We had a brother in our church in the past who his highest level of excitement was manifested like this. If he had that much of a curve on his lips, he was out of control. You get what I'm saying? And then there were others that are up here. Oh! Yeah, we put up with everything. Is not one thing is not particularly right or wrong. But I also think you can tell when people really are enjoying God and honoring him and pleasing him. And too often, our assemblies, meetings manifest, here we are again, got to get through it, do my duty, whatever it is. And we don't want to stay parked there by any means. So what I saw in here, I got a, a four-point sermon just from this picture. I did. 
There was one was proclaiming, one is praying, one is praising, and one is pondering. That's free. You can take that home. I'm not even charging you for that, okay? Proclaiming, praying, praising, and pondering. And that's all about that amazing experience where God moved into the room in such a powerful way. And by the way, it's happened again and again in the history of the church. Descriptions of revival, the launching of tremendous mission movements started with something similar to this. What have been referred to as Second Pentecost, if you will. So, let's review. We've already been talking about worship for quite a while. And the reason we have been is because I think it's critical. Because, by the way, you have a bulletin. Anybody have a bulletin? Look at the front page of your bulletin. There's some core values listed there. See that? The very first, I think, says something about a lifestyle. Doesn't it? A lifestyle of worship. Worship is not about just coming formally to church on Sunday, right? Putting some money in the plate, maybe doing communion, whatever it happens to be. It's more than that, much more. So that's why we've been parking on the subject. Worship, first of all, is a verb. I stole that from a book title to use it for the series name because that implies action. Worship is action. It's something I'm active about. I do something with it. So worship is a verb. The very first week, we had a lot of fun because people got distracted by something happening outside the windows here. We don't want to mention anybody's name, Tim, straight, but he was uh, power washing the building. Everybody remember that? And so our title was, What's Wrong With This Picture? What was wrong with that? And everybody gave me answers. And by the way, I'm going to address some of your answers today. You can't wait. I can't wait. That's right. <laughs> what was wrong? The, the theme of that, that morning was Jesus' words saying, quoting from the Old Testament, these people approach me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Remember? So that's what's wrong. That's what's wrong with the picture is empty, oh, empty outward action with no heart of loyalty and commitment to the God of heaven. And Jesus, in that, in that sermon, we read Jesus' words in John 4, where he's instructing the lady in Samaria that who is God looking for? Who's the Father looking for? Those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, in authenticity, in the real deal. They really mean business. You can encounter individuals who say they belong to Jesus. You can tell whether they're real or not, right? doesn't take too much conversation or observation to figure out, not really. Or at least they're not very serious about it right now. Kind of derailed. You can tell. So what's wrong with this picture? That was the first week. The second week, we tried to look up fear and trembling. Do you remember the story? Um... Uh, Aaron's sons bring strange fire before the Lord, and they're instantly, yeah, it's like, just like out of Star Trek, zing, bam, gone. Fear and trembling that we need to think about who it is that we have been reconciled to and what kind of a God he is. What does holiness really mean? Uh, Probably one of the best descriptions of God is his holy love. Both things. Yes, he loves us. Isn't that good news? 
but he's holy. He doesn't drop the bar to make us happy. He doesn't drop the bar to let us in. His holiness is manifested most clearly on the cross of Jesus. That's God's opinion about sin. That's God's opinion about your sin. Are you following me? Is what happened to Jesus on the cross. That's how he thinks it must be dealt with. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. He had to maintain his righteous standard because it's part of how the world has been created. We're built on his created order. Number one. Number two. Number three. We saw it as a way of life, which is reflected in our core values, which I admit we probably have to rework down the line, but I like that anyway. It's my core value. <laughs> I think it's a lifestyle of worship. That It's a way of life. We have become, been called to priesthood as believers, and so it's part of our lifestyle, both formally what we do on Sunday, but also what we do during our week, how we work. Remember, we even talked about that. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Remember that? Uh, if, you're a, if you're a servant, honor your master. Do the best job you can. Christians should not be uh, not glorifying God in their entire life and lifestyle. And that's one of our core values. Rather than what our culture is excellent at, compartmentalizing things. Do you know what I mean? Does everybody know what I mean by cart? Doing that. Compart, compart, you know, you have a compartment for this and a compartment for that, little cubby holes. And so we compartmentalize our spiritual life and our business life and our family life. And God says he's living in all of that. There is no separation in an absolute sense of what is sacred and secular. He's working in and through you all the time if you'll let him. Yeah, so I remember interacting with a dear, dear saint. Love these people. They they helped us build huge facility. And uh, but I remember one day my mouth kind of dropped open as they made it clear. Now uh, that's business. In other words, the rules of God don't apply when I'm talking business. And I'm like, how tragic is that? So I wonder why your fellow business partners aren't interested in coming to your church. Duh wasn't too hard to figure out. Next thing, we talked about a culture of... Oops, did I go backwards? Yes. Thank you for keeping me on task because my ADD is in full bore today. Okay. Way of life, a culture of worship. Does anybody remember what story I used for that morning? It's where David sacrifices to stop the plague. Remember? And, and the place where he makes the sacrifice, the man is willing to give him everything. He says, nothing doing. I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. In other words, it's part of the normal Christian life to, on occasion, at least on occasion, make sacrifices. Just, you know, develop some grit and do it. Make it happen. As a kingdom, you know, it's not always convenient to serve the Lord. I wish it would always be at a convenient time. I've been in the ministry a long time. People never die at convenient times. <laughs> they just don't. The nerve, exactly. That's, it's part of the work. It's what you do. There's no question what you do at that point. You rise up and deal with what has to happen. 
The whole family has to do that. I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. There's sacrifice involved. And I have mentioned there are some weak points here at Harmony. Uh, my job, you know, one day, brothers and sisters, we're all going to stand in the presence of Christ. Yeah. We're actually going to be on our faces, my wife always reminds me, before the Lord. And I need to make sure that I've said to you what needs to be said that will help you. Okay? Because I will have to give an account and you will have to give an account. All right? And as an assembly, we all give an account uh, for what we've done in the time God's given us here. So there's something about sacrifice and working around this convenient thing that we have trouble with. It's not convenient. Well, guess what? Life is never going to be completely convenient. I found that out a long time ago. And if we want to see the kingdom move forward, we're going to have to get past some of that. That's the culture of worship, having an attitude that I'm a servant and worshiper of Jesus all the time, really. So how can that manifest where I am on my job, you know, in my family, connecting with friends, all of that, as well as what I look like at church? And then... The last one we looked at was representing Christ's story. Just a little dimension of what happens when we formally worship is that we're replaying, if you will, the gospel story over and over again. Can I just say about church styles? I don't care whether it's a high church worship service. You know what I mean by high church? High church is very formal recitation of the creeds, doing the Lord's Prayer every week, all of that, only hymns. None of that shameful boogie-woogie we had this morning. None of that. And it's very formal. You work your way through it, right? I don't care if it's that kind of service or the totally opposite. If those people are authentic worshipers of Jesus, the message will come out. And people looking in will say, Jesus said, you don't hide your light under a bushel basket, you're like a city on the hill. And my conviction is personally that, and you don't have to agree with me on that, that when the children of God really are authentic and they worship God, non-Christians say, I I want whatever that is, I want it. Because it's built in. Do you know that worship, the need to worship is built into us? Did you know that? All human beings. Watch people at a rock concert, you know. They used to do the lighter. You know, now it's this. What are they doing? Phones? Oh, that's just sick. But anyway, you know, deliver us. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. There's a need inside to give value. That's what worship is, right? Worship is attributing worth to someone. It can be your rock idol, or it can be the one who created us that deserves that attention. But that's what it is, the need to give to that. There's all kinds of pseudo-satisfying forms of worship today that people are being deceived by, thinking, oh, I've arrived now. But you haven't. Representing Christ's story, when we formally worship, if it's real, if we're authentic, and I asked you last week after the sermon, why don't you try, instead of saying, what did I get out of that, or did I think it stank or not? I mean, you never talk like that. I'm the only one that talks like that. How did I do representing the gospel? How did I do worshiping God? How did I do giving honor to the one who's rescued me? 
I think it's a good paradigm shift for our minds. So that brings us to today. So who is worship for? Well, we already know the answer. It's God. And uh, we want to recall things like the Westminster Confession that say so perfectly. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and... Some of you know that part, right? Well, my duty is to glorify God. You know, it's like the old reading of the uh, King James language, the deacons must be grave. That doesn't mean boring and stiff. And, uh, it means serious about it. They're authentic about it. That's what the word means, serious. Okay? So our worship is for God. The chief end of man is to glorify God. We were made for him. We were made to glorify him. We were made for worship. And part of that is we enjoy him forever. We actually enjoy it. Is worship to be enjoyable? I thought, Pastor John, you already said it's for God and it doesn't matter what you think or how it felt or whatever. In the absolute sense, that statement is true. But derivatively, the side benefit is we do get the blessing out of it, right? So that has to be part of the answer of who worship is for. It's first of all to glorify God. God is seeking worshipers both in spirit and in truth. He's looking for authentic Worshippers. Let me see what's next. Glorify God, okay? Let me just talk about this for a minute, if I may. I want to read a couple of things from uh, Marva Dawn and perhaps opine a little bit, if I may. So, the kind of God that we worship. I, I mentioned this a while back that sometimes having the wrong view or a cold and uh, unapproachable sense of who God is will affect the way we even treat our family members. It can have an impact. We read that last time. But we cannot respond to God as the object of our praise unless we first see him, know him, let him be God in our lives. There's an author from Lutheran Seminary, Nestigan, who protested, listen to this, sometimes these days it's hard to distinguish praise from schmooze. I'll explain it in a minute and insisted that real praise happens when God becomes God again for us. Be God to us, we will cry. Speak your word so strongly that we can't hear anything else. I hope churches will continually utilize fresh words and music to praise God. But it worries me that so many new compositions dumb down our perception, knowledge, and adoration of God. A principal cause of such dumbing down is the contemporary confusion of praise with happiness and we do get confused with that some worship planners and participants think that to praise God is simply to sing upbeat music consequently many songs that are called praise actually describe the feelings of the believer rather than the character of God now there's not in a sense an absolute that it's never right to praise God in a way that's like we're really enjoying this that's fine but I'm going to use this as an illustration if I can. An emphasis on what we get out of worship, what we get out of worship, above all, that we feel good about ourselves, displaces the theocentric praise of God with anthropocentric utilitarianism. How do you like that for a mouthful? Now, I have to charge you if I repeat it. No, I, I'll read it again. 
the emphasis on what I get out of worship rather than what I bring. We just sang it. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I'll bring you more than a song. Okay, well then do it. That's the point. He's saying this, the emphasis on what I get out of a worship service, above all that we feel good about ourselves, displaces the theocentric praise of God with anthropocentric utilitarianism. In other, in other words, man-centered whatever works. Whatever works to make me get warm fuzzies or whatever, that's fair. Whether it's honoring God or not, we don't care. See how we get in trouble? I'll give an example. Um, take your hymn book. Who's got a hymn book there in front of you? I'm stealing this one right here. Now, I said take your hymn books. <laughs> Nobody has to do it. Well, I deserve that one. Are you praying that I get payback here? Is that... <laughs> If I, didn't, if I didn't trust these people completely with their, their, uh, their uh, wonderful spirits, I would be seriously concerned right about now. Lord, show that. <laughs> Fix that. You guys need to understand, this is my humor. I'm really not this arrogant, okay? I'm sorry. Don't, oh, oh, oh. I heard that. Turn to page 10 of the, of the hymnal. So when I was uh, pastoring another assembly, there was a song that one of our worship team people loved to sing all the time. I hope nobody here in this room likes this song because I'm about to clobber it. And it was, so forgive me if so. But it was basically this, I love to, to be in your presence singing praises with your people. I love to stand and rejoice, clap my hands, raise my voice, something like that. Exactly. As opposed to page 10, O worship the king. O worship the king, all glorious above. Gratefully sing his wonderful love. That's, I don't know why they changed the words in these, but his power and his love is the original. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days. Listen to that language. The ancient of days. Pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Can you imagine? Instantly, I've got my eyes off my, I'm having a good time, to the God of heaven that we don't even have a right to approach. Isn't that amazing? Just from the words, sing of his might, sing of his grace. It's actually tell of his might, sing of his grace, whose robe is the light, whose canopy is space. His chariots of wrath, the deep thunderclouds form, and dark is his path on the wings of the storm. I don't know if I like that, dark on his path. Just meditate on it. Think about it a little bit. Think outside your little box. Thy bountiful care, what tongue can recite? It breathes in the air. It shines in the light. It streams from the hills. It descends to the plain and sweetly distills in the dew and the rain. And here's the one I love. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail. If you really know yourself, you know that's true. In thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Your mercies, how tender, how firm to the end. And here it comes. Maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. That's a God worth serving. I know some hymns are boring. 
But that's why Mike and I have collaborated to make sure at least one hymn, if not more, every week is on our plate because they lift our minds upward much more than many worship songs. And by the way, I love a big number of worship songs, just so you know. Don't anybody get on my case about that, really. I really do. So, authenticity and being uplifted. The reason we spent a little time in the hymn book was to glorify God, but to understand that what comes out of that as well is the sanctifying of man. Did you see what just happened as opposed to I'm enjoying this? And that's okay once in a while. That's all right. I'm enjoying this. As opposed to looking up and seeing God and having my heart lifted up to see the God of the Bible revealed as he actually is instead of my wrong, distorted thinking, which often gets in the way. Uh, James White, in his book, Introduction to Christian Worship, wrote about this dimension of worship having an impact on us. Worship is characterized by the worshiper's conception of God and his relation to God. Christian worship is distinctive by being always conditioned by Christian belief, especially belief about the nature and action of God. In other words, it's about him, and if I make my worship about him, I'm going to end up being benefited. Let me explain what I mean. Glorification of God and sanctification of humans both characterize Christian worship. Did you catch that? Both. God first, get it in the right order, and then my benefit. God first and the sanctifying of man. Glorification and sanctification belong together. Irenaeus, we used to quote this, tells us the glory of God is... Who remembers that? Michael, you know it. He just blanked out. <laughs> Class dismissed. No, I'm kidding. The glory of God is man fully alive. Remember that? The glory of God is man fully alive. I'm not fully alive. As many of my innate gifts as I've discovered by God's created order in me, until I come to faith and until I am hooked up again with the God of heaven and his life is flowing through me and I know this is why I was made fully, I'm not fully alive yet. Glorification and sanctification belong together. Irenaeus tells us the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Nothing glorifies God more than a human being made holy. Nothing is more likely, listen, to make a person holy than the desire to glorify God. Moves you in the right direction, in other words. So glorification of God and sanctification of humans both characterize what happens in Christian worship. The sanctity of man. The sanctification of man. You also, we looked at this verse in the weeks gone by, 1 Peter, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Yes, it happens this morning when you gave 
of your tithe, for example, and you worshiped with your heart and you sang those words to the Lord, whether you were feeling up and happy about it or not, you chose to do it to honor him. Yes, that's part of offering up spiritual sacrifices. And when I serve my neighbor by plowing him out in the winter because he's unable and he's so appreciative and he sees the light of Christ flowing through you, I'm also offering up spiritual sacrifices. And when I witness and have the privilege of leading somebody to know Christ, that's a spiritual sacrifice. Yes, all of that is true. So what's the primary target? Glorifying God. It's straight up. But what's a sidebar target? What's the, what's the sideways benefit? The sanctification of man. See the... Oh, you know, I got this little fancy technical thing here. It's built up. See that word? Built up. That word and related words are going to come out in every verse that I'm about to show you. Built up. It's the word for building a house. And it's talking about us. As the household of God, he's putting brick upon brick upon brick, building us up. I've taken some verses from the book of Corinthians. I'm not going to have time to unpack them all. In fact, I'm going to cut myself short on purpose today. And everyone said, Amen. Edification. Can you see oikos, the word for house in there? The building of the house, the upbuilding of a house. That's where we get the expression edification. I had a brother come to me the other day. Let's get together. Every time I talk to you, I feel edified. I went, whoa, wow. Biblical language. I was impressed. It was cool. I feel built up. I feel encouraged. Put brick upon brick. That's what the word means, edification. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, which, by the way, Corinth was one of the most difficult churches Paul had to deal with, right? They had, like, lots of stuff wrong. He still calls them saints of God. He still speaks life into them. But they had a lot of things that needed to get fixed. In chapters 12, 13, and 14, got it right, those three chapters are all about their worship services and what was out of order. The Lord's table, decorum, who was speaking, and then how they treated one another. All of that came out in those four. Three chapters. So rather than park on it too long, let me just say there's a lot of references in here to speaking in tongues and interpretation and all that. I'm not trying to make us charismatics, but I do want us to be Baptocostals. <laughs> and everybody said, oh boy, why did they hire this guy? Okay. I want us to be open to the Spirit transforming us. That's all. Quickening our gifts, letting us accomplish things for the glory of God. Edification, the building up of the house. What is the outcome, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, has an interpretation. Okay, so everybody's participating. Everyone has gifts to apply. I'm gonna, now, now, now I'm opining. You can watch Christian worship services on TV. Or, yeah, whatever. But there's something unique that God's trying to make happen when the saints gather. That's why I'm a little bit fanatical about it. Not just because I preach on... I want everybody here because I'm preaching. That's not why. It's because there's something God is trying to do with us together that he can't do when we're in isolation and scattered out in the world. Simple as that. 
There's the building up. And here it is. Let all things be done for what? Edification, for the house building up, the sanctifying of man. The word that is used here, I already showed you, it's a word with, a, with house in it, the act of building, edifying, building up. It's the action of one who promotes another's growth in Christian piety, upbuilding, strengthening, and encouragement. When I come on Sunday, this is what's messed up in the American church. It's all about me when I come. Instead of, who's somebody I can pour life into today? Who's somebody that needs to be edified, that needs to be lifted up, pulled out of their discouragement? You know, it's more than just, you know, don't worry, be happy. You know, the guy that sang that song killed himself, right? Did you know that? Who says? It's not true? Is it an urban legend? It is? I repent. I take it back. I I mean, I don't have to repent, but I retract the statement. But it is funny. Yes. (laughs) Not true. It doesn't work that simply, okay? Can people come to worship who are hurting? Is their worship no good because they're hurting? See, we get these weird things in our head sometimes. So we're here to be built up and encouraged and sanctified. God is in his business... Hey, he says, look up and give me glory. Focus on me and I will do the business of sanctifying you, transforming you in the process. The problem in that church was there was so much chaos. That's why you have these expressions like this one, if I could. Participation of the saints, right? They're they're working together in this. And he says this. He's rebuking them. Did, Did the word come from you? Has it come only to you? You all think you know what you're doing, but you don't know what you're doing. He's kind of rebuking them. And then he says this. Therefore, my brethren, desire to prophecy. Don't forbid to speak in tongues, but let all things be done. Some of you know it from the old King James, right? Decently and in order. And the word in order is the exact opposite of what he says a few minutes earlier when he says, God is not the author of confusion. The word confusion literally means chaos. It's disorder. Listen to the way that word can be used. He's rebuking them because you kind of smell like this is what he's saying. You smell like an insurrection, mob violence, a riot, commotion, instability. That's what he's saying. And you shouldn't. Because God is not the author of confusion. He's a God of order. He set the universe in order. And he sets our lives in order as well. You know, if you went to an... And so what, where I'm pushing... Here's, here's what I'm pushing on. And I know I was told if I don't quote more movies uh, more recently, I'm going to be in trouble. So you must unlearn what you have learned. I just got a birthday card that had that. You open it up and it goes, you must unlearn what you have learned. It's got a little light and Yoda's there. You know, it's like... Can I just say some of us need to unlearn some of the things we've learned? We've got some biases and ways of thinking that are not necessarily saturated in Scripture. I'm going to give you a few examples. Ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Uh-oh.
So then enjoy the other ones that we have provided, exactly. And the hymns lift up other people who don't like. So both work, and, and my emphasis there was for the mental uh, visual of looking toward God and getting an understanding of him. That's why I said that. They're not in contradiction. Use them both. Yeah. Hymns are... I, yeah, I picked the worst modern one ever. <laughs> yeah, because like Knowing You, Jesus, that's one of my favorites right there. Yeah, Knowing You, Jesus, there's a bunch of modern worship songs. So if, I, if that came across, thank you for mentioning it, that's not what I meant. Okay, that, that spiritual songs that have been written recently aren't great songs. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, huh? She is. Yeah. I like both. I want both. No, she's not your daughter anymore. That's what she's telling me. Yeah, I'm with you. Anyway, so, no, that was a great question. Did, did I make it clear then? Both can be worship, okay? You get, and I even said that, even the, the terrible song I quote, from my opinion, terrible song. Some people might enjoy worshiping with that, okay. But it's not going to, it's not one that's going to aim people upward. It's more about how I'm feeling today, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, let me just say about unlearning some things. If you went to church in Korea and the pastor said, let us pray, do you know what would happen? Everybody in the room would be praying at the same time. It would be an absolute din. And you would say, this is not being done decently in an order. They're all in sin. No, they're not. For them, that's order. That's the cue that everybody starts interceding. Does that make sense? So sometimes we have these opinions about what should be done and shouldn't be done in church that may not be based on Bible, on truth. So Pastor Tim's power washing event. I got, and everybody's views, I wrote them all down because depending on the angle you're looking at, it's right or wrong. You're right or wrong, depending. Example. Three comments that came out. Uh, that's preoccupation with outward appearance. Yeah. It looked pretty bad out there. <laughs> I'm preoccupied with that too. So in other words, are we to be... Now, here's where it's right. Are we to worry about... I mean, I used to tell people, give me a box to preach in. I don't care whether we have to sit on the floor. Just give me a, you know, a carton. Uh, the, the saints can meet anywhere. We don't need fancy churches. We don't need stained glass, correct? Outward appearance isn't that critical. The early church had none of this stuff. Nothing. It was the body only, right? So outward appearance, on the one hand, doesn't matter. On the other hand, what do we want people to see about Jesus when they come and visit us? We're going to talk about sacred space next week. Sacred space, because... That's kind of what this becomes when we meet with Jesus here. Somebody said it was a waste of money. And that may or may, I don't know what the other perspective would be, but from my chair, probably renting the machinery to do it when there's enough people with power washers here that should have done it. I don't know what the reason was, but maybe it was. But from my chair, getting that job done was not a waste of money. What's that? Preventative, yeah. Okay, so there were a couple of examples. Here was, here's the good ones. He was a bad example. I, 
thought he was a great example. I'm still not going to use the power washer, but no, I would. I thought it was a good example, but I know why they said he was a bad example, because of the next one, and this is the one that 